Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, doing well. Tommy, remember what, three years ago, four years ago? This was a very, very, I'll say it one more time, very exciting day. Kind of home right now, isn't it? It is. We're talking about National Signing Day. And of course, the great majority of the activity has shifted to the early signing day before December. There is some good news to report from the Florida State front. We'll hear from Coach Mike Norvell shortly. Uh, you mentioned three years ago, Keith, I remember when I worked at Channel 27, signing day for me began at seven in the morning and I would go from one high school to another to cover the local kids when they signed, whether it was Ron Dugans and Theon Rackley when they signed from FAMU High or Ernie Sims when he was coming out of North Florida Christian and Lincoln was always signing six or eight guys. So I would make the rounds and uh, it was a long day, but a fun day. But certainly the times have changed. Well, that isn't your most notable recruiting job however you know I, I like to remind people of your one nine hundred time uh and no it wasn't uh talking with someone that would uh say things that were inappropriate but uh, you were the voice of the osceola recruiting line for a while that one always tickles me <laughs> so uh, and we have a relationship with the osceola right now we'll hear from our osceola insider bob ferrante coming in, up in just a little bit but since you teed that up i i Actually, it was not even going there today, Keith, but (laughs) yeah, that was actually when I was in school or just out of school in the early 90s. Uh, Jerry Kutz, of course, uh, ran the Osceola. This was pre-internet. They would do all the legwork and they would make the calls and they would know that Derek Brooks just committed to FSU and they'd send me the information and I would update a phone line. This sounds so archaic to share this with our younger listeners, Keith, but it's really, it's in our lifetime. It's not that long ago. That's correct. You couldn't look on the web or a phone, so people would dial a 1-900 number to get the update. And we would tell them, call at 4 o'clock and we'll have the information. And so we'd get the word, and at 4 o'clock there'd be an update in there, and people would pay to listen to the fact that Derek Brooks just committed to FSU or whoever it was. Right. I mentioned Brooks because there's actually a funny story there. We screwed up the Central Time versus Eastern Time, and that frustrated some people who had to call back. <laughs> 
at a one nine hundred number that was a buck ninety nine for the first minute and ninety nine cents for every minute thereafter. Anyway, yep. times have changed. Uh, now we all know instantaneously. Uh, we don't even need a conduit in between because with Twitter and social media, you can see what the the student athlete is doing directly. Um, that said, Florida State gets Destin Hill today, which is another receiver. It's a position of need. That's good news. I don't know where it put Florida State in the rankings. We'll, we'll catch up on that. But uh, all in all, when you when you couple what they did at the high school level, I know it's not the same as what Florida State has done historically, but you add in the transfers, I don't know that you could ask for much more. We'll see how they perform on the field, but I think Coach Norvell and company did a pretty good job. And I would agree. Now, the, for those that are recruiting Knicks or pay attention to the rankings, just for clarification, the transfers – whether they be undergrad or graduate transfers, are not computed in the class rankings, correct? So Florida State signed, has six, seven, eight, however many the transfers are. That is part of the reason why maybe Florida State's not quite ranked as high as, as Coach Norvell believes they are or in terms of their needs. So that's a little nuance uh, that the transfer portal kind of throws at uh, the recruiting uh, and I think they'll things. I think they'll adjust that the recruiting services going forward. Uh, the Osceola, a lot of folks use Knowles two forty seven, which does a composite, basically averages different recruiting services rankings. And when you account for Destin Hill, Florida State moved up to I think twenty second overall, fourth in the ACC behind Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, then FSU in terms of ACC rankings. And that's not where FSU wants to be. But again, that's based on 17 student athletes and none of the transfers. And also coming off a three and six season in a COVID year, just cutting to the quick. Uh, for a staff that has lots of connections in college football and around the Southeast, maybe not as many connections in the state of Florida as they will have ultimately when they get back on the road. But I, I just don't know how much more we can expect FSU to do based on where the program's been the last few years. And one of the things that, given this year doesn't get computed is truly going after kids to meet needs as opposed to just picking the best kids that are available to you. I know the staff was very, very determined and very focused on going after what they felt like were the needs. And that doesn't necessarily mesh up with how the recruiting services would rank what's going on. Uh, but I do know from a couple of folks that I've talked to, at least within the recruiting unit at Florida State, they are very, very excited about the kids they have. And ultimately, and this is something that we noted about Coach Norvell and we've talked about on this show, the true judgment on the kids that signed in December and Destin Hill signing today and the transfers, that true judgment comes after the fact down the road when we see how much they truly produce. And we don't have to relive this, Keith, but there's been an awful lot of four or five stars that FSU has signed over the last five to 10 years that by the end of their time at FSU, you're wondering why didn't they perform like a five or four, you know, a four or five star. So the proof is in the pudding, as they say. And I think uh, just like you talked about that the recruiting services will find a way to account for transfers I suspect as we go forward and uh, we have the ability, uh, you'll see some recruiting reviews. You, you see them occasionally now, but they'll become much more from a, a notoriety standpoint where four or five years after a particular recruiting class, they get re-ranked as it were. And certainly that's what's most important. 
let's do this. So uh, full disclosure, we're recording this show earlier in the day. There's another prospect that wasn't going to announce until four o'clock and, and uh, it's not four o'clock as Keith and I are chatting. So we can't share the tea leaves said that he was going elsewhere to Ole Miss uh, and Mike Norvell met the media at one. Let's take a, a listen, just a couple of minutes of coach Norvell and his comments. Uh, now that the, the signing class, uh, the second signing day has come and gone. Here's coach Norvell. Good morning, everybody. Uh, hope everybody's having a, a great signing day. Uh, you know, it's kind of unique. Uh, you're here with uh, this being the second signing day of uh, of uh, of the year, but uh, you know, really excited. Uh, excited about uh, you know all the additions uh, with, to to our program. Uh, you know, the young men that have that have uh, committed to to be a part of this great institution, you know, this program, and to be able to represent uh, Florida State football and all the Seminole family. It, it's definitely a special day to to celebrate. And uh, you know it's been an exciting morning for uh, for everybody here. Um, you know, with the, with another you know great addition that uh, just got announced uh, uh, you know a little while ago, but uh, in, in Destin Hill. And um, but uh, I do want to take take this moment to just uh, you know, thank everybody. Um, you know, all of our staff. Um, you know, the different departments that have been involved academically. Um, you know, just to, in 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 all in, in all aspects. Uh, this has been an unprecedented year when it comes to college football recruiting and. Uh, to have a dead period for the for the the better uh, you know part of this season, um, you know, going all the way back to March where kids weren't able to come on campus, um, you know, the, the the things that we had to do virtually, being able to connect with the parents, the families, um, you know, being able to 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 portray the vision of of what these guys their future is going to be and uh you know how they fit and why they were the right fit for florida state uh um and and what we're looking to do here moving forward it's um uh, it, it's been a a tremendous workload but uh you know we have a great staff and uh you know de- definitely appreciative to all those that uh, took part in in helping uh, put together this class. Uh, when you when you look at the signing class, you know it's a, it's a wonderful mix. Uh, you we've got a tremendous group of high school players that are going to be joining our program. We've got junior college and four year transfers that are be coming in. Um, you know, all that are, are are bringing tremendous value to what you know not only who we are uh, but to where we're going. And these are this is going to be a a key class that's going to help uh, continue to push our program uh, to where we're wanting to go. Um, you know, great football players, but also just to, tremendous group of young men um, you know in, in who they are what they want to accomplish the relationships that, that they've built and the impact that they've made uh, through this part of their journey and we're, we're excited about uh, you know, them and what they're going to be able to do here in Tallahassee and uh, you know there is there is potential for a couple more additions uh, within the within the class uh, you know we're excited uh, about those possibilities but uh, you know we're we're uh, definitely uh, looking forward to, to what the future holds and uh, you really think we were able to to uh, address many of the needs that we had um you know not only immediately but uh you know also for for what the future uh holds for this program so um you know I'm, you're definitely grateful to all the families and and all the uh, uh student athletes that allowed us the opportunity to recruit them and um you know obviously uh, allow the allow us uh, into that journey and uh you know we're excited about where we're going to be able to go together so Destin Hill the fourth receiver to sign with FSU. And again, that was an area of need for Florida State. We know what the receiving cores look like. We know Tamari and Terry's not going to be there. I think just to wrap up recruiting, I don't know if we'll ever get a, a, a true answer to this, but if you point back to when Florida State in early December lost a couple of verbal commitments, including a quarterback, 
when they got the word that Mackenzie Milton was going to transfer here and who, you know, his leg, he's cleared. We don't know if he'll be the same player or not. We'll find out when he gets on the field. But that carried a lot of cachet, and it enabled Coach Norvell and company certainly to have success in the transfer portal and, I think, to solidify some of the kids who were verbal commitments. That was a huge domino that fell in Florida State's favor or that Coach Norvell and company earned by recruiting them. You hate to put that much pressure on someone who does have a very good track record, but as you mentioned, is coming off a very, very devastating injury. But I would agree with you. And I think the other thing that we're starting to hear is the tour of duty workouts are uh, ongoing and as they get ready to prepare and get uh, on the field for spring practice, spring game, I think scheduled for April 10th. What you're seeing with a lot of these transfers, Tommy, is some immediate maturity. These are kids that are older, the proverbial been there, done that. And they can step into a leadership role, though they're new to Florida State, they are not new to college football. And in many cases, they have started, you know, double-digit games, and they've had, uh, if you will, successful careers. So um, I think all in all, everything is pointing upwards. The trajectory is going forward. Okay, so thus concludes the signing day portion for now. Bob Ferrante will join us uh, a little bit later in the program. We'll get his take. He's at the Mike Norvell Presser, and we'll, we'll let him weigh in. But We've got an old friend who's going to join us next. It is Super Bowl week, and there's only one FSU player in history that's uh, quarterbacked a team to a Super Bowl victory. I think you guys know who that is. Brad Johnson joins us next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. It's time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to a, literally an old friend and a, and a guy that both of us have known for, for a long time, and that is former FSU quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback, Brad Johnson. Brad, it's good to see you. How are you? Doing great, Tom. Appreciate you having me. Hey, Keith, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, brother. Doing great. Before we dive in, why don't you update our listeners, uh, Knoll Nation, so to speak. Uh, what, what's new with you? And, and then we'll get into the fact that you're now a quarterback dad, if you will. But, but where are you? How's the family? What, what's going on? Yeah, life's good. Life's good. Move up in uh, Athens, Georgia. Been here for a decade now, I guess. So, <laughs> so it's good. So uh, Nikki, she has a little painting business she does. And then uh, pretty much out of the garage, got uh, two boys, Max and Jake. Max is at LSU and Jake's going to be a rising senior. And I've been coaching, I don't know, peewee football, middle school, high school football. Kind of staying involved that way. The last two years, went to the state finals and got beat uh, both years. So kind of still trying to lick our wounds, lick our wounds a little bit there. But uh just staying busy, coaching a lot of little kids in the community, helping out with any quarterbacks that want help. How much more nervous are you as a dad than as a player when you see that youngster of yours running out there for the Tigers? Yes, yeah, different. It's 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 you know what I miss for from from my son Max. You know, I remember I you know warming him up and then getting him ready for the game and pregame meal and this is the plays we're going to run and. And now I'm the dad, I, you know, they have what's called the Tiger Walk in, in Baton Rouge. And, you 
you're trying to get there two hours in advance so you can just wave at your son coming down the walk and then you're up in the stands taking pictures but you're out of control in the stands you don't have any control you just you're at the mercy they it can't hear you you know <laughs> so i sit there and try to get a bag of popcorn and coke and just try to enjoy it as much as we can well I know that, uh, as I've mentioned to you, and you know my wife, Laura, I mean, she went to LSU, so we watch a lot of LSU football, and we've seen you at the games, but um, for, for FSU fans that that may not tune into many LSU games, they watch the LSU-Florida game, and uh, obviously the way that turned out was was tremendous for the Johnson family. Uh, so first of all, most importantly, on the on the thrown shoe, was it a spiral? I mean, was there good velocity? I mean, did you have a good a good vantage point on how well that shoe was thrown? It was so foggy, I couldn't see. <laughs> and I had no clue until I heard what the referee said. He threw the shoe 20, I think he threw it 22 yards. And basically it gave LSU a first down to keep the drive alive for a game-winning field goal. That's actually Max's roommate. His name's Cole Taylor. So you know, I think they took his shoe, they bronzed it after the game, and, you know, Florida's in misery still. So for all the Florida State fans, and <laughs> you can you can cheer for their misery one more time. Well, Brad, I remember remember the one time when Florida and Florida State were in Tallahassee, and they got into a little bit of it before pregame, and uh, I think it was Doug Johnson threw a football at Coach Bowden and missed him. And coach, coach came back with the greatest uh, – Coach, how would you feel about them throwing the ball? If it had been my quarterback, he'd have hit me. <laughs> those were the days he was pretty good <laughs> we'll we'll get to the Super Bowl talk here in a minute I am curious because it's a unique experience for you and I know a lot of a lot of athletes uh have sons and daughters who become pretty doggone good athletes too uh so you're not unique in that realm but when you look at how college football has changed Brad I mean you were a guy who at Florida State and and you're extremely competitive I mean, you lost the starting job and you stayed at Florida State and you and Casey Weldon were, were good friends. And now we're in an era where, I mean, it's hard to get a fourth quarterback to sign at a school, uh, you know, and, and if you're not the and if you don't have the job, you're in the portal or you're moving around. And I, I'm not asking you to comment with Max's situation because I know he's got, you know, strong competition there, too. But just your perspective on how much it's changed from then to now. Lost changed. Um, you know, I remember in high school, I was an All-American. I came to Florida State, and I'm sixth, seventh string. And, you know, you asked to be redshirted. And, you know, I remember Danny McManus and Chip Ferguson, Peter Tom Willis, and then Casey and I, Casey Will and I, we were hoping to play our junior and senior year. And um, just it's it totally different. It's totally different. Now if a kid's not starting after his, you know, fifth game and – or, or promise so many reps and practice or whatever, he's looking to transfer, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's, it's interesting. The last couple of years, there have been some success in the transfer portal with a Joe Burrow who went to LSU, a Justin, a Justin Fields who went to Ohio State. And maybe those are the, the, a few great success stories. But, you know, now you're getting kids in middle school that are transferring, moving houses to go where I can be the starter in middle school and then try to find your high school spot. So transfers are, they start not in college, it's happening in middle school. So it's, it's an interesting thing. And I think one of the greatest things for me was um, people got to know your struggles. They got to know your, your adversity that you went through, who, what makes you what you are. And, you know, for me, not, you know, maybe getting benched in my junior year, you know, could have transferred, could have quit, could have went and played basketball and, I said, you know what, dude, that's not why I came here. I can be a part of a great, great 
school at Florida State and Bobby Bowden and Mark Rick, and, and I'm going to stick it out. And that's my adversity. That's my story. And it worked out for me. And I think that's what you're missing in kids' life. I think, I think parents need to let their, their kids fail. <laughs> let them fail. It's okay. And then let them deal with it, especially at a young age. You know what I mean? So everybody has their different stories. That's kind of the way it works out for them. That's, that's great advice, Brad. How, how long ago did you retire from the NFL? I think it was 08. So that's been 12 years, I think. So that was only like the 19th year of Tom Brady's career when you retired, right? right. <laughs> can, you, right. can you believe right. this guy is still in there and still at it? <laughs> Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, the guy, he's, he's, he's only had one year, really a bad year of injury. Had a knee injury. I don't know what year that was, 11 or something like that, something around 11. And, uh, I mean, he's consistent. He's, he's uh, relentless. He plays in good weather, bad weather. He leads. Uh, he's never been the fastest. <laughs> he didn't get very much respect even after they lost the first game this year with the Bucks when they lost the Saints over the hill. And uh, but he's just a great, great competitor. And he brings out the greatness in those around him. And he helps those uh, with great talent. He helps those believe that they can win no matter the circumstance. And he changes the culture of a building. Changes the culture, the mindset that there's hope that they can win he's done it time and time again so it's pretty awesome to see his success uh you know for two decades now brad i was talking with deckerhoff last week and we were talking about uh, the bucks win and of course he'll be calling gene will be calling the game this sunday uh before we get to this game one quick reflection what what's your longest standing and best memory of of your super bowl win what do you tell people when it comes up in conversation I, I remember in, in 1987, I couldn't decide if I was going to play football or basketball, not alone in college. And, and um, you know, I, I, chose, I chose to go football. And one of the things that kind of got me was um, the confetti falling over a guy named Phil Sims when they beat John Elway. And he got to say he's going to Disneyland. And 16 years later, when I was playing for the Bucks, I got to, you know, I remember the national anthem with the Dixie Chicks and God Bless America by Celine Dion and Larry Zonkin and, and uh, Bob Greasy out there for the coin flip and just heroes of mine, you know, and then the game takes place. It's a regular game, but when the game is over, there is, there, <laughs> there's a final ending. Now it's either, it's either it's one of the greatest days of your life or it's one of the worst days of your life or it's overrated, which you might say, but confetti fall, was falling on our face and I was holding Max and he's two and a half years old. And my wife, Nikki was seven and a half months pregnant with Jake. And, and we say, we're going to Disneyland. You know what I mean? So we lived the dream. I wasn't that guy sitting at home eating chips and dips, and I want to be that guy. I was that guy that could be a part of saying we'd always be a Super Bowl champion forever. So it's pretty – a lot of great coaches, a lot of great players. I'm thankful for that opportunity. The Bucks have not done very much in the postseason since then until this year. So as, as we look at this, before we uh, break down the game too much, I guess going back to the quarterback battle, if you will, I mean, Brady and Mahomes – I mean, Mahomes – you you tell me. It seems like he does uh, all these things that you would never coach a kid to do in terms of throwing from different arm slots and off balance and different angles, but it works for him. I mean, what do you see when you watch him play? When he can do it, let him do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> you don't take the you don't take the bat out of, out of out of Hank Aaron or Babe Ruth's hands. You let him hit home runs, you know. And yeah. uh, he did, they did. Can't say he's great job with his first year, first year not planning. And let him be groomed under a guy named Alex Smith and let him the culture of being a pro and how to handle things. And, and he's gone to three AFC championships now, back-to-back Super Bowls, has great coaches and Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid and great talent around him. And the guy just let him make plays. He is a uh, 
he can pull the trigger. <laughs> but, you know, he doesn't throw interceptions. I think – I don't know what the numbers are. It's like 115, 120 touchdowns to 20, 25 picks or something like that. And it's uh, it's fun to watch. And uh, great, great competitors. So, it's, I'm excited about this game to watch both of them. But different different styles, totally different styles. And uh, if you're – you know, coaches, if you got a son that's quarterback, then <laughs> tell him to keep your eyes on your target. Where Mahomes, you can let him – have another look looks, you know, so it's pretty, pretty neat to watch. How do you see this unfolding this week? Interesting because they played, you know, that was actually Tampa Bay's last loss. And, um, you know, Tampa has a tremendous defense. I think they, I think their offense has scored 135 points off of turnovers from their defense. They've had 35 points off of turnovers in the playoffs, beating the Redskins, the Saints and, um, and Green Bay. Both of them, Spagnolia from uh, Kansas City, they disguise. He's blitzing too now. I mean, it's it's you're gonna have to make decisions. You're gonna be accurate the ball and just you know you gotta be able to score points in the red zone. So I don't know. It's gonna be it's you flip the coin how it's gonna turn out. It's gonna be a fun game to watch though. Brad, with the cha- rule changes and the, the emphasis on offense, we're seeing a different NFL than the one you played in. But but where do you sit and what do you make of the standpoint that when it comes to championships, it does start with defense. At all levels. I mean, college, pro, whatever it is. But, you know, I mean, you know, when I, when I think of the great Dallas Cowboys, they had number one defense in the league when Troy Aitman was playing. They talk about the triplets. And when, when when Green Bay won it with Brett Favre, you had, I mean, dang, you had Reggie White and Leroy Butler. You had, you know, San Francisco when they won it with Steve Young. They had number one defense in the league. And when we won it, we had top defense in the league. And, and, and so you better have it. You better – you've got to stop them at some point, the other side. But – but I think it brings great competition in practice. And um, so, but defense has to create turnovers in the league. And then and some, at some point, not give up the touchdown, give up field goals in the red zone too. So both got to be great in the red zone when you're down there. You saw that in, in the NFC Championship game with, with both uh, Green Bay and, and Tampa. You know, they were able to stop them twice in the red zone. And then the, and then the Buffalo game, they, they, they got stopped early first in the game and then and late in the game. They didn't score touchdowns. So those are big areas too. But you got you got the game is created always off of turnovers and then being able to score on short fields. Can you watch the game as a fan at this point? I mean, can you drink a beer and eat some chips or are you looking at it and going, oh, that's a cat blitz or, you know, they're, they're off on this side? I mean, can you actually just sit back and watch a game? Yeah, I've had a lot of chips and dip and beer, so <laughs> so that, that kind of comes with it, doesn't it? But uh, no, I'm always I watch it as a fan. I, I used to live and die on every play, you know what I mean. But now I kind of I can sit back and just kind of enjoy the game, um, you know, a little bit, a little bit more relaxed. I don't have anything at stake, so I kind of watch it in, in amazement of kind of what these guys are able to do now. Yeah. You mentioned you're coaching at the high school level. Did you ever have ambitions to coach at the college or pro level, or is are you happy where you are coaching, you know, in the more formative years for kids? I like my family life. <laughs> yeah. I did not want to get fired. I did not want to look change jobs. I did not want to look for I – th- I think when you're a, a coach, you got to be willing to move, you know. You got to be willing to – you know, at that level, you got to be willing to move. You got to be willing to move up from a, a position coach to coordinator to a head coach. Um, same thing in the TV world. I don't want to travel. I, I already did that for, you know, decades of my life. So I kind of want to be with my family, coach my kids. I've been been able to live the, the dream and life that I wanted to, coaching my kids and then now coaching, you know, a bunch of kids. So I've kind of got my enjoyment out of that and, and then just my time at home. It takes special people to be coaches that give up that amount of time and that commitment and that stress level 
to do it on the college level or pro level for sure. Well, Brad, we've lost a, a couple of the older guys that were there when I was there. Coach Bowden's group, uh, Jack Stanton passed away last year and just the last couple of weeks, Gene McDowell. And I, like you, remember, I don't know if I'd have had an acumen to, to be a coach, uh, certainly at, at the high school or college level, but I remember the hours they put in. And I remember every time I'd walk there in the morning, they'd already been there. And every time I walked out at night, they were still saying, and uh, it does take a toll and it takes a very special person to be willing to do that. It does. And I, I think one of the – I mean, for, we were kind of spoiled probably with Coach Bowden. I mean, all the all the coaches had young kids and they'd have family night and bring the families in and have dinners and see the kids running around. And that's that's a big part of being a head coach, really making the family atmosphere where coaches can kind of have a family life besides sitting there, you know, calling recruits or, or uh, just watching film or having to deal with your own players too. So I think that was the greatness of Coach Bowden was making it really a, a family – atmosphere. Brad, as we wrap up, obviously you've got a big affinity to LSU right now for obvious reasons. You had family connections to the University of Miami for a few years when Mark Rich was coaching there. But I guess what I'm curious about is what kind of nostalgia or connection do you still feel to Florida State at this point? How much can you even watch FSU play with everything's going on? How much do you keep in touch with your teammates? That sort of thing. Yeah, you know, we've we've done a pretty good job with keeping up with teammates as much as we can over the years. So that part has been pretty good. And it's neat when you see somebody, you, you reminisce about all the, you know, the great memories or the funny things the coaches used to say and kind of, you know, the mat drills and all those kind of things that took place. So great, great respect for Florida State and our time there. And, and then it's, it's kind of, you know, it was unique for Max to make a decision on where he wanted to go to school. And he wanted to blaze his own path, not be in my shoes at Florida State or, or Coach Rick, at, you know, his uncle at, at – uh, Miami or Georgia and those kind of things. But but we, I've actually kind of been able to have a couple of Zoom meetings with Coach Norvell and, and stuff. I'm excited about Florida State and kind of the culture that they're wanting to build and the kids they're bringing in and the recruiting classes they're bringing. They're having to start from not ground zero, but just it's a new beginning. And it will take place. I feel like they got the right people in place. And fans just got to just got to, I hate to say, just relax a little bit. But but the winning the winning will come back. But it handles through the culture and the build. And I think they got the – I think they got their hands in the uh, – heading in the right direction. Well, Brad, Mark will actually be at my church this coming Sunday, uh, speaking at Thomasville Road Baptist Church. And so I'm going to probably ask him, uh, when can we put together the next quarterback challenge? And we'll get Casey and we'll get Charlie and we'll reach out to Winky. He was a little bit after the fact, but uh, PT's down in Tampa and you boys can get back together and let's see if we can't do some free throws and some golf and some bowling and, and maybe, maybe keep you all from getting into a fist fight because the competitive nature would come out during those episodes, I'm told. Yeah, we had some good days and some ugly moments too. Kind of some fist fights and bloody noses playing one-on-one basketball and arguments over, you know, the rules. And uh, Coach Richter was always – I don't know if people know about it. We played bocce ball, air hockey, bowling – uh, darts, there's two football throws, accuracy throw, and a uh, long ball throw. It's shortened now, now, in a competition. So we did that for a couple of decades and a uh, bunch of uh, – <laughs> a lot of great memories for sure. <laughs> and no video and nobody can bring out their, their cell phone and take photos. <laughs> That's the we, won't, we won't dig any deeper for any of the off-the-record stories either. Brad, it's good, to, it's good to connect. Congratulations on your success and on the decision to be a family man and stay home and raise your kids and uh, support your wife and enjoy it. It's great to see you. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Brad.
Brad Johnson, uh, uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback, former Noel. We'll take a break, come back with more on Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ, special thanks to Brad Johnson for joining us. We put our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, in a tough spot Bob, you, you, all you've got to do is follow in the, in the footsteps of Brad Johnson, so no pressure there as we keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. How are you? Doing well, guys. Do I, do I get backup quarterback, hold the clipboard money, or uh, what do I get here? No, we're back on wired headsets, and you're holding the cable. <laughs> <laughs> and that about sums up all of our careers. So you uh, were in the press conference uh, with Mike Norvell and the rest of the Florida State media contingent. Obviously, today's signing day still seems bizarre to me that we have two of these and that uh, on a day like today, you, you're, gonna, you're talking about one or two signings, something like that. But mostly he was talking about the news that Destin Hill signed, which I think was a foregone conclusion by most on the beat. But what did he say about the newest member of the Florida State recruiting class? I think he, you know, Destin Hill is a guy that they've watched for a few years. And obviously David Johnson, the recruiting coordinator, having close ties into Louisiana as a high school coach really, really helps there. Um, was reminded I'd forgotten about this. Destin Hill did make it to Tallahassee for an on-campus visit, you know, before the pandemic shut down everything with the dead period. So in that regard, Mike Norvell said, you know, relationships, face-to-face contact did matter that they were able to get him here and, and they knew him from Louisiana. Um, they, they think Destin Hill is a playmaker and they think he's a guy who's, who's got, you know, top end speed, um, potentially track speed. We'll have to see how it all plays out on the field, of course, but it, it it's kind of the, the cherry on top of the signing class, which I think we're, we're going to feel better about going into the off season and, and really bringing in three good high school receivers, uh, two of them already on campus. So it's just going to help to kind of rebuild that receiving room and, and uh, we'll just see how things play out here on the field in the spring. And that was a segment that you can tell by both what he says and the amount of time he spends saying it, that he was very, uh, that receiving core was very key uh, moving forward. I think just from a production standpoint, it was, it was just difficult to watch that receiving group and, and how it impacted the offense as a whole. I mean, we saw late in the year because of injury, but also just production, they were using the tailbacks by default as receivers and trying to lean on tight ends to do as best they could. But it's clear you had to bring in some guys who could be impactful early. It's clear that playing time was part of the pitch. And, you know, we'll see. I I still think there's a lot of good talent in those 2020 receivers, guys that we just haven't seen a lot of. You know, Brian Robinson, it sounds like, was really showing what he could do in camp last August before he had an injury. But I, I think just in general, you've got guys now in the 2020 class, the 21 class that can kind of reshape that room. Those are the guys that, that you see as building toward for the future. And, and we'll, we'll probably see a much, much better position moving forward. 
So Malik McLean, Joshua Burrell, those are two other receivers already signed. And then Andrew Parchment is committed that would come in as a transfer after spring from Kansas. So that'd be four receivers here. What was the tenor overall from, well, I guess really I'm asking your opinion because I know Mike Norvell is going to exude confidence and excitement about the class that he signed, but they wound up, I think 22nd in the composite that, that the two, four, you know, 24, seven does off a three and six season, you know, and that doesn't factor in the transfers. I mean, kind of what's your take as you sit here right now about who Florida state has signed, understanding maybe there's room for one or two more. You know, I think the funny thing about the recruiting rankings are it's really hard to hold comparisons apple to apple because when, when you chase so many transfer portal guys, those aren't going to weigh into your recruiting rankings. Whereas you have a lot of schools ahead of you who are signing 21, 22, 23 high school kids. Well, when Florida State has 17, then of course their rankings in 247 and otherwise are going to be a little bit lower. If you start to look at the number of four stars that Florida State has, well, they've got, they've got seven. That's, that's quite good. Yes, there's not a five-star but you probably wouldn't have expected one to sign after a three and six season. I I think it's really hard moving forward. And somebody who's really smart is going to come up with a metric that takes into account your 25. How do you weigh the impact of transfers? Plus how do you weigh the impact of high school signees? And, And it's going to be very difficult because if you just look at the rankings and just say, well, pure numbers, Florida State's 22, 22 overall, why aren't they higher? Well, they should be higher. Well, to be competitive in the ACC or in the national stage, they should be higher. But you really have to get, I think, just deeper into those numbers just to have a better understanding of the big picture for the program moving forward. The one missing piece, it would appear, the consensus says, is one more big body on that offensive line. Um, and that would, that would be the bow on this present uh, for this recruiting class. I agree. Pat Burnham agrees. Charles Fishbein agrees. Everybody who's watched this team thinks, yes, you definitely need another big body. And it's probably a guy who's not in the transfer portal right now. Could be a guy who goes into the spring, doesn't like his situation, doesn't like how the depth chart looks at whatever school he is in. And that's going to become yet another hot commodity. Um, I, I just think you leave that spot open and you just hope that that's a guy who wants to come play in the state of Florida with a program on the rise who can start and who can be developed for the NFL under Alex Atkins, who let's be honest, that offensive line group took a major step forward, especially when you consider run blocking. I mean, the improvements run blocking and development of young players when you're starting four guys who are freshmen, true or red shirt, it was pretty remarkable. So I, I think Florida State, if, if all the pieces stay together, and, and I think it is, this is going to be become short-term a destination where guys want to play for Alex Atkins and be developed. And they'll see the improvement and how much fun Norvell's offense is. And, of course, it certainly helps that Mackenzie Milton is the quarterback for the next year too. I, I think all the pieces are kind of there for the right candidate um, likely an offensive tackle, yes. I'm going to change subjects, but uh, as we move it on to basketball, I mentioned this in the first segment, 
uh, our conversation with Bob is taking place uh, earlier in the afternoon on Wednesday. So before Taiwan Malone made his announcement, which was coming at four o'clock, we all think or surmise that he's going to Ole Miss. But if you're wondering why we're not talking about him, that's why we'll be happy to talk about him next week if he lands at Florida State. Um, so Bob, basketball, uh, unfortunately, the last taste in our mouth is that setback to Georgia Tech. They were going to get real healthy against an undermanned BC team on Tuesday night. And then another COVID outbreak. I say outbreak. It's, it's I think, just one positive. I don't know for sure. But because of, of – uh, the need to contact trace and all that Florida state has to shut it down and miss three more games. And it just goes with what this season is stop and start, stop and start. I think it's just an unfortunate reminder that we have to appreciate the games we get. It, it was from what we've been told one positive test. Um, Florida state left Atlanta and went straight to Boston, did not come back to Tallahassee. So the team arriving in Boston settling in there for um, what was going to be a Tuesday night game against those Eagles that were going to be shorthanded. Um, once they found out on Monday night that there was a positive test, everybody had traveled by plane together. Everybody was shut down in quarantine. So right now everything's on hold until February 13th when Florida state can hopefully come back and host Wake Forest. And then two days later, Virginia, um, that's going to be, the most anticipated matchup, I think, in the ACC when we see Florida State and Virginia face off. And, and frankly, let's just hope that, that everything plays out and we can see those games. But, um, you know, right now, uh, Florida State just having to go back to to quarantine, maybe be able to practice by yourself. I'm sure the, the basketball training center is shut down, so it it is going to limit everything. But I think we did see with this first shutdown in early January, they were able to hold some meetings over Zoom. And when they were able to get back, they were able to focus on fundamentals yet again. So you have to take this break for what it is. Extremely unfortunate, but it gives you a chance to rest up and regroup for, for what it will be the stretch run here. And again, to echo your comments, that's exactly how it played out last time. They played horribly against UCF, shut down for over a week, and then came back and put that four-game winning streak together. So now they play poorly against Georgia Tech, shut down. Maybe they'll come back with another four-game winning streak. Uh, at least that uh, the optics would look good for that. I do think that the time away won't be as long uh, because of the new CDC guidelines. It should be a week as long as the guys test negative. They can be back out practicing together. Uh, I think that's what FSU is following. So that would, that would mean by next Tuesday or certainly by next Wednesday – they could get back out there again, I would think, and get a couple days of practice in before that Saturday game. Anything else on the basketball front, Bob? I think this goes back to the question we asked last week because this has happened twice now to FSU. Do you want to be in Greensboro and find out that you have a positive test and now you don't have a team that can play in the NCAA tournament the next week? Yeah, I know we we kind of hit on it last week. I think there's a lot of discussion that need to be held over Zoom about how you handle – a conference tournament? Do you try to move it up in the schedule? I've been told there has been no discussion yet about moving that ACC tournament forward, say a few days, a week, whatnot, to accommodate travel. There was a report, I think from CBS Sports, that they're going to try to move teams directly from those conference tournaments to Indiana and not allow them to travel back to their home campuses. So, it's interesting just to see kind of these um, these leaked, let's call them memos or, or discussions and, and, 
and see how the pieces might come together. But if we do see some of these truly, let's say, blue bloods or new bloods of college basketball who are forced to postpone a game in the NCAA tournament, that's going to become a huge story. I, I, I have to hope that some of the powers that be are just thinking about, you know, plan B options, moving tournaments up, um, contingency plans, just to make sure that the best teams in college basketball are able to play in March. That's, that's what everybody wants to see. That's the bottom line. One of the things that jumped out at me when I, when we got off our, our, our program and uh, last week, and I just was sitting and thinking and pulling out a calendar, it's not inconceivable that if Florida state plays in Greensboro in the ACC tournament and has to leave and go directly to Indianapolis and would make it to the final four, they would be gone four weeks by my calculation. Now, You'd think about kids not attending school and that type of thing. Most of it's remote, so you could still do those things. But 26, 28 days in hotel rooms, that's not real advantageous to fun, I don't think. It's less than ideal, and I think a lot of coaches would say, you know, how does that affect your academics, too? You're not near your family. You're not near your brothers and sisters. It's it, it is very, very complex. I think a lot of stress on athletes for sure. It's good for the loyalty rewards program, but that doesn't go to the student athletes. Uh, <laughs> sometimes the radio crew does receive that perk. However, Keith, <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's go back to this point though. You're talking about the final four and we're all excited about how well Florida state's played, but in light of what we saw last time we saw FSU play, it feels like, though the ceiling is just as high maybe for this team as last year's, it feels like the floor is lower, i.e. what we saw against Georgia Tech. Now, to be fair, I think they really missed Anthony Polite. But, Bob, what do you, what do you think about that point? I, I, this is, I, I would have told you that uh, 99 times out of 100, that team last year was going to at least advance to the Sweet 16. This year's team, it may be more of a coin flip as to whether you get out of the first two rounds, just depending on what you get. It's a matchup tournament as it always is. I, if you are healthy, if, if Florida State's healthy and Anthony Polite is back soon, you know, maybe when this team comes back on February 13th, he, he should be back from that shoulder injury. I think this team can only truly beat itself if it misses free throws, if it makes mistakes. We saw 20 turnovers up, up at Georgia Tech. It was the highest they've had all year. If they're just playing the way they know how they can play, and use that true depth. As Leonard Hamilton says, you know, one through five, you, you might get us, but one through 10 or one through 12, I'm going to get you. That's, that's how Florida State wins games. I, I still feel like this is a team that gets to that second weekend, if healthy, and if it just doesn't make those mistakes. Baseballs are being thrown around. Mike Martinfield, Dick Hauser Stadium. What can you tell us uh, from out that way, Bob? You know, from the early views, it, it's it's been quite good. This this pitching staff is, um, I think, going to be exceptional. Mike Martin Jr. said something was really interesting, just that they are seeking about eight arms for the rotation. If, if you can kind of wrap your head around that, it's it's a contingency plan just in case someone tests positive or has to go into quarantine. They're they're truly looking for as many potential starting pitchers as possible. And then you slide those guys back into, say, middle relief, late game, closer, et cetera. But that's a 
good thing when you, when you have that many arms that you feel confident and that you can develop. So, you know, Mike Martin Jr. saying he, he's going to emphasize pitching, defense, base running. That's going to be kind of the, the thing that he wants to do as well as being more aggressive at the plate. We saw a little bit about that last year compared to his dad's philosophy. So, you know, looking forward to uh, the opening day very much for sure. The critics, the critics used to always say, how come everybody else gets those kids that can throw 95 and above? They ain't going to have that to say this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just excited that uh, Meat gets to go out. You know, he, he waits so long to get his opportunity, and then the season shuts down 17 games in or whatever it was, 12 games in, I don't even remember. Bob? Oh, I'm sorry, I cut yeah. you off. Did you want to add something no. on that? Yeah, you're right. It was 17 games, and they were just coming off uh, you know, the win at Florida, the number one team in the country. And it's just unfortunate to see everything shut down when they were, I think, just kind of finding themselves. So, but yeah, this this should be quite interesting. And um, you know, frankly, it's going to be a tough seat at Hauser with only about 25% capacity. But um, you know, thankfully, we'll have a lot of games on television or, or streamed through ACC Network Extra. Anything else you'd like to add, Mr. Ferrante? Guys, appreciate it as always. Have a good one. All right, folks, subscribe to the Osceola and learn more about FSU's recruiting class, baseball season, and everything else going on in the world of Florida State Athletics. We'll take a break, come back, and put the wraps on Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Thanks to our Osceola insider and Brad Johnson for joining us today. Tom Block, Keith Jones, we'll wrap things up. KJ, uh, good to connect with Brad. I don't know if you have a favorite Brad story from his playing days, but if we go back to that conversation, it, and, and this comes up a lot because it's so different than nowadays, FSU was in that 15, 20-year period where guys didn't start at quarterback until they are in their fourth or fifth year, and Brad was in line, and that's just the way it worked back then. Well, there's two parts of that story that have always fascinated me, uh, and again, for our younger listeners, uh, bear with the old guy, but you know, I played with Wally and Jimmy, and, and they didn't necessarily – one didn't replace the other in terms of the full-time starter. They, you know, Coach Bowden would play the hot hand, so they were both playing. But in Brad's junior year, he was the starter. And Mark Rick, who would become his, his uh, brother-in-law, benched him. And Casey Weldon became the starter, and he played most of the rest of the year and a half. And, and so their, their – competition was different than I had experienced uh, relative to playing time. And of course, Brad, you know, quote unquote, got the upper hand because he had a 16 or 17 year um, NFL career and one Mr. Tom Block threw one, one more, excuse me, one less, Mr. Tom Block threw one less NFL touchdown pass than Casey Weldon. So Casey, when you hear this, you can be mad at me again. I did that one time when I introduced him, he wasn't happy. But the other thing about Brad hey, Casey, is – Casey, I got your back. You did play in the league for nine years, and I don't have that pension coming in. There you go. But the one thing about Brad that I think is so great is that if you've been around him, it is not his exploits on the field that you talk about. 
It's the quality person that he is and continues to be that you talk about. And that is a lasting legacy that anybody that's been around Brad would know and appreciate. He's just one of the good ones. KC is too. KC is too. But Brad uh, always has conducted himself way, way, way above, you know, uh, and, and, and everything he's done. And boy, don't get into a competition with him because he may be X number of years old, but he's going to fight you just like he's 21 again. It will be interesting to see how his son's career plays out at LSU because there's an awful lot of talent in that quarterback room. And if he doesn't wind up being the starter, does he follow his dad's footsteps? Does he jump in the transfer portal? You know, I thought that was sage advice from Brad when he said, let your kids fail, you know, and, and Brad's seen it from all sides. He's seen it at the highest levels. Uh, he coaches at the high school level now. He's got a kid playing college ball, big-time college football. I mean, he's he's seen it from every angle. That he has, and we've had conversations on this show. Uh, you know, there are certain lessons that you can learn or you can be taught, and there are other lessons that are best experienced. And uh, that was the part that Brad was talking about. And in, in other words, let your kids fail so they can experience that so they have the opportunity to rise above it. Um, Black Mountain, North Carolina. When's the last time you talked about Black Mountain, North Carolina? That's where Brad grew up. Yep, exactly right. And uh, going, bringing it back to Florida State football and signing day, uh, appreciate Bob Frante's uh, update there. Destin Hill comes into the fold, four receivers, uh, a pretty solid recruiting class overall. We'll see what other chips may be out there between now and when the season kicks off. But I would say a pretty good job and by by Norvell and company of, of trying to address needs, especially through the portal, uh, but but also getting a, a nice infusion of high school talent. We've talked about this before. I think ultimately, you know, you got 17 high school kids right now. Maybe the, the perfect number is 21 or 22 as you go forward. And you, you always have a couple of uh, openings in your back pocket for somebody that uh, may jump in the portal or to address an immediate need, that sort of thing. Well, you used to keep a, a couple of three scholarships in your back pocket and you would award those at the end of fall camp to walk-ons. Well, that's kind of been pushed up. You're probably doing that a little more uh, in the spring timeframe. Um, but I think that portal is going to continue to be very fluid though, Tommy, you and I were talking off the air. Um, there were a bunch of kids that went through the portal, depending on who you talk to somewhere around six or 700 and by some estimates, as many as 50% of them never landed anywhere. So you go into the portal thinking you're going to sign somewhere or catch on somewhere. And, and there's, again, depending on who you talk to, a 50-50 chance that you just ended your college career or at least paused it for a period of time. So I think uh, how to manage both the kids going in and coaches looking at the kids that are in will continue to be fluid. We're going to have some new stories on that in the next year, two or three as we move forward. Super Bowl Sunday, Keith, who you got? Oh, I'm going, I'm pulling for the Bucks. I mean, I'm like you. I, I grew up, you know, with the Atlanta Falcons kind of being my team. The Dolphins, uh, you know, didn't get good till the early 70s. By that time, I was in high school. And, um, you know, I've just bought into to Tampa Bay with, with our friendship with Deckerhoff. He's now in 30-plus years. By the way, hats off to Gino. He was just voted the most outstanding college play-by-play uh, -play, um, broadcaster in the country by the National Association of uh, Sports and 
writers and broadcasters, I think it is, well-deserved honor for Gino. Uh, I'm, I'm Tampa Bay all in. There, there's no doubt. Well, that's who I'm rooting for, too. But I actually think the Bucs are going to win. It goes back to Brad's point about defense, and I feel like the Bucs are just playing better defense right now than what I've seen out of Kansas City over the course of the season. But we'll see. It's tough to bet against Mahomes, but it's tougher to bet against Tom Brady. I hate to say it. Uh, you know, I find him more likable now with Tampa than he was when he was with Belichick because you kind of lumped them together. And I don't know that we're going to ever see a quarterback in 10 Super Bowls again. I mean, it's crazy to me that he's doing this. Well, think about this. I got a text from our longtime good friend, Paul Kennedy, who is a graduate of Virginia Tech. Coach Arians played quarterback at Virginia Tech. And believe it or not, actually had more rushing touchdowns in one season than Michael Vick and was about 100 pounds lighter also. I think that was in 1974. Um both of those coaches are coaches that players love playing for. I think the one thing that's, that Mahomes and company have to guard against is they won't be able to do like they've done in the past and get down by 21 or 28 points and mount a comeback against that Tampa defense. If they jump out early and jump out and stay ahead, maybe just maybe, but I'm with you. I'm pulling for Tampa Bay, and I think Tampa Bay will win. We'll see. You can tune in next week and uh, find out if we're eating crow or if we were absolutely correct. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us as always on Front Row Knowles, folks. He's Keith. I'm Tom, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Control.